This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 73, yoga, chronic pain and mental health. We are finishing our mental health series today. If you missed our episode on anxiety, that was number 70. We also had an episode on yoga and mental health that was number 72. And then in between on number 71, you got a deep dive in practice of alternate nostril breathing, which was on our premium membership platform on Patreon. And you got that at the beginning of November. We looked at and explored alternate nostril breathing as a tool to deal with stressful time, to deal with anxiety and mental health challenges. Today is a pretty special episode. I'm really excited. It's the first time I do this format. I do not have a guest. I am the guest. So I wanted to do this episode myself to talk about my journey with chronic pain and mental health and how yoga has been part of my healing. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. Have you already checked our new Instagram page at On and Off Your Mat Podcast? We are starting all the way back from the beginning, revisiting every single episode. So come by and follow us and you can catch up on all your favorite episodes, all the good nuggets, or revisit the one you've missed and have a chance to listen to them again. You can also continue to support this show through Patreon, as I mentioned before. For as low as $5 a month, you get access to more content, exclusive episodes, just like the one on alternate nostril breathing this month. You get tutorials, guided meditation, and much more. And then you have a second and a third tier where you can get access to some or all the classes we've been recording on Zoom and continue to record during this shelter in place. So if you'd like to have access to all of that extra content to help you deepen your practice, especially right now or particularly right now the episode on alternate nostril breathing to help you de-stress then visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium member on the tier of your choice all right ready let's get to our episode of today Hi guys, Erica here. I am so glad and so happy to be my own guest today. I usually start interviews by asking people about their journey, so we'll start here as well today. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself and my journey through yoga and chronic pain so we have a context of what we're talking about today. So obviously my name is Erica, you knew that already. Uh, You probably also know that I'm a yoga teacher I'm a podcaster, and maybe you don't know that part, but I am a life coach, helping women awaken themselves, become more embodied, and build the life of their dream. I started yoga more than a decade ago now. Back then, my main goal, my entry point in yoga was the physical aspect. It was really for me to get into shape, to lose weight, So I started to go to hot yoga, this really like intense, fast pace practice. And really it was for the body that I came in, but it was for the mental health benefits that I stayed. Like a lot of people, you approach yoga, you start for the physical part, for the physical part of the practice, and then you realize that there's so much more to it and it gives you so much more than you decide to stay for those reasons. I talked a little bit about that in episode 72 with Dr. Lauren Tauber when we talked about mental health and yoga. And for me, it came out that desire to lose weight, it was just not that I needed to lose five or 10 pounds, but 
it came out of being in the middle of an eating disorder. So I would say for a bit more than a decade, I really struggled with eating disorder, particularly binge eating. So there was definitely a lot of body image issue. There was a lot of weight issue related to the binge eating. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of general discomfort, dis-ease, right, within myself, in my body, and just within myself in general. So when I started yoga with that goal of losing weight, I actually didn't really lose any weight, but after the first class, I felt a shift already right away in me. I didn't quite know yet what it was and what was going on or how it was happening, but I knew that I felt better. Just that simple. I was like, I feel good. I feel lighter. I feel quieter. I feel more myself, which I felt like I hadn't feel in a long time. Like I was so disconnected from myself. And so I was hooked from the first class. I just continued to come. And over time, I started to realize that not only did I feel better in my body, like physically, but I felt also seen by my teacher. I felt like I mattered. I felt like I was part of a community, which I haven't had really before that. I felt more comfortable in myself, like being seen in the room or taking that space or experimenting, doing things that I was new at, that I wasn't good at, but it didn't matter in a way that had mattered with other physical activity before. Um, I also started to reconnect to myself and start to listen in a little bit more in a way that I started to notice what kind of dialogue I was holding with myself, how self-critical I was, and I would even say how violent I was with myself in my thoughts and with some actions that I was taking. So really from that point on, I stayed on the yoga train, except for a short period of time where I was too sick, and so I stopped. And this is back in 2013. I was diagnosed with endometriosis stage four and frozen pelvis. And leading to that, there was a few years of chronic pain. Um, and I've for a long time suffered from anxiety, particularly related to my body and the eating disorder and just my general discomfort within myself. But as time was passing, the pain was getting worse and worse, so it was affecting every aspect of my life. And at that point in time, when I got diagnosed, I had to stop working, I had to stop yoga, exercising in general. I didn't really have a social life really anymore. It was really like my life was put on hold and there was nothing I could do. So that, with the anxiety that was already there, really brought me down a dark hole. Um, I had for a period there a really, really hard time. And I didn't realize it necessarily in the moment, but when I look back now, knowing what I know today, I had a really, really dark depressive episode. 
it really led to a place where I had no hope and I felt like there was no point. There was no point in living at all. There was just no reason to continue this way. And something shifted where I think my partner of the time saw how how dark and deep into it I was getting and he really wanted to help. And so he kind of gave me a little ultimatum where I had to, you know, get back up and do something and he was going to help me and he was going to support me in that. And so the shift happened when I guess the only way to put it is that I chose to live. And I chose to take my life into my own hands and I decided that there was a point in living not the way I was, but there was a point in living. So that gave me really the motivation to start to make changes. What had happened is that through the Western medical system and with doctors, they had told me they couldn't do anything for me. They couldn't help me beyond painkillers. And I had at that point refused to continue to take painkillers. So they had told me, well, you're on your own. And so when you look at doctors or when you're used to looking at doctors with this idea that they know everything and they're, you know, on this pedestal and then they tell you they can't do anything, then really quickly you're like, well, if they can't do anything, who am I? I can't do anything either. So I think that took away a lot of my power Even if I took it away from myself, they didn't do anything. Um, It's that story that kind of automatically put me in a box where I had no power, I had no ability, I had no agency on my life. From that point on, deciding, okay, I'm going to take all of this in my own hands and I'm going to figure it out, really started to shift things. And so I'll tell you a little bit about the things I've done over the years to help me manage pain, live pain-free as well. But before we get there, um, I think that's enough for just a little intro. I don't want to spend too much time on that story. You'll find some blog articles on my website on a little bit more on the story and on endometriosis in general, but I'll take a moment now to talk about what is endometriosis, because even if you're not on this podcast because you suffer from endometriosis or you suffer from chronic pain, it's a really common disease. It affects one woman out of 10 in North America, and I think it's important to at least have awareness around it if you suffer from it, to have someone else's point of view on it might be interesting. And if you don't, but you know, or maybe one day you'll know someone that suffers from it, then you'll be a little bit more equipped to, at minimum, understand what they're going through. So endometriosis is an autoimmune disease. As some tissue that act a lot like the lining of the uterus, which is called the endometrium, as those tissues start to grow outside of the uterus where they don't belong, the body starts to attack the tissue to get rid of the problem. And it's full of good intention, but the result is not the greatest. (laughs) So these 
um, out-of-place growth. They're called lesions. And it's the lesions that create more inflammation in the body. And the body will, on top of it, create scar tissue as extra layers to heal the lesions because the lesions can be bleeding as well. So the body will try to stop that bleeding by creating scar tissue. Over time, with the inflammation in the scar tissue, you lose a lot of mobility in the organs and there's a lot of tension that's being created. And over time, pain really gets part of the equation and it can become really severe pain. So that's kind of the based idea of what endometriosis is. And it's not because it's an autoimmune, like a lot of other autoimmune disease, it's oftentimes combined with other conditions. So with the case of endometriosis, it's very common to also have uterine fibroids, to have painful bladder syndrome, pelvis inflammatory disease, IBS, and infertility is also very, very common. So in my case, I had, um, I did have uterine fibroids, painful, painful bladder syndrome, IBS, and I suffered, and I still suffer from infertility. The only thing I did not have in my case was pelvic inflammatory disease. So yay, yay for that. When you don't know a lot about endometriosis, I think one of the myths or one of the things that we just assume is that it's just about heavy, painful periods and then, you know, you're kind of done. You just have a few bad days a month and that's it. Knowing that there's different stages of endometriosis, there's very different experiences of the disease. And for some people, there's barely any symptoms. Until they get a diagnosis, they didn't even really know that they had an issue in that way. And for other people, their whole life is on hold because of the pain. So there's a really big range of symptoms. But just to give you an idea of the kind of symptoms I had, um, yes, I did have heavy painful period. They lasted... Because also that is like, what's a heavy, what's a painful period? It's super vague. And from women to women, that's different what it means. So at my best, it lasted seven, eight days. And at my worst, it lasted 22 days, like just over 20 days. Um, and the heaviness is, I mean, it's hard to measure, but having to change really, really regularly and soiling your pants, even if, you know, you are wearing pads or tampons or cups or whatever you choose to wear. There was definitely a lot of pelvic pain. So the whole pelvis area, pelvic floor pain, even like in the bones, like the pubic bone was very often painful. The sit bones were very often painful. I've had pain uh, with bowel movement, with urination, with sex. So anything with digestion, anything happening in that area was painful I've struggled with bleeding or like spotting between periods when it was not like a full-on continuous, really long cycle. I've always had issue with bloating, particularly because of the IBS, but also just the inflammation in general and a lot of fatigue, pain in the lower back, pain in the abdomen in general, pain in the legs, in the groin, in the rib cage. So really, a really big area of the body. 
And at my worst, I had difficulty just participating in day-to-day life activity due to the pain, due to the weakness. Because I was losing so much blood, I was really, really anemic as well and just being exhausted all the time. So that kind of gives you a picture. I've heard of women also like feeling really, really sick during their period. I would feel a little sick or like nauseous or dizzy from the pain, but I've never, which I've heard other women have vomiting, fainting during their period. So it could be really, really intense pain. It's just not like, ooh, I'm not feeling great. It's I'm in bed and I often try to explain it to people back then when they were like, how is it? What is it like? What I felt and the only way I could explain it is how I had seen on TV someone that is getting off um, like a really hard drug like, and they're having like these convulsions or they're having this shakiness, this fever-like sensation. I would have like sweats and colds and shivers and I had to like rock my body and so it really felt like I was detoxing from something although I haven't really had that experience but that's how I was only able to kind of relate it to people. It's really hard to share with people what exactly you're feeling and how it's happening when you don't have something in common in that sense. So to find like images has always been the easiest way for me. All right so If you don't have endometriosis, but you suffer from another chronic condition, chronic illness, or you have chronic pain, I just want to explain really quickly what qualifies at chronic pain so we're on the same page. Chronic pain is a pain that is usually difficult to treat, and it's a pain that persists past the quote-unquote normal healing time for that condition, right? So it carries on longer than supposed to, despite usually despite medication or treatment. So that time frame is usually about three months. So if you have pain that lasts longer than three months, despite medication or treatment, then it would qualify as chronic. Depending on the level of pain, because the pain can be chronic, but it could be not super intense, you might think like, it's not really worth me doing anything about it and I'll just take medication when it's really too much. But I think it's important to think about the impact of chronic pain on the body and if we don't do anything about it, what happens over time. In my case and in other people that I know, chronic pain, the way it affects your muscles and your joints and your body is it creates a lot of tension. So over time, your mobility will be decreased naturally because you're getting more and more tense. It affects your immunity in general. So you will be more prone to getting sick, especially with viruses like flu, cold, stomach flu, that kind of thing. I was sick all the time back in you know the 2010s. It decreases your concentration and your ability to focus because there's a part of your mind that's busy with pain. Even if you don't, if you're not fully aware of how much your mind is focused on that, it is. It's really hard to not have it in your field of awareness. So it takes away your concentration and then it's going to affect your sleep. There's no way around it. 
And your sleep, like having sleep disturbances, is really rippling or cascading into creating all sorts of other issues in your body. Really, there's a lot of effect that are worth looking at and that are worth doing some maintenance at the minimum for your pain so it gets as much as possible under control or as low of an impact as possible because over time it really adds up. That maintenance part is really at the minimum managing your stress because the stress not only does it affect directly the level of pain and your experience of the pain but it will affect the sensations, the pain itself, like the symptoms that are being created. So as I talked about the muscle tension, stress will constrict your muscle. It will even constrict your nerves. And so it will create physical pain itself. And the physical discomfort is often a signal to the brain that emotional trauma needs to be resolved. So there might actually not be in that moment emotional trauma, or there might be something but really deep that you haven't even really consciously looked at yet. It kind of works the same way in the body. To reduce the tension is going to help you affect the nervous system, is going to help you affect how the brain is treating the potential emotional aspect of that chronic pain and the physical aspect of that chronic pain. The idea is that you can make your life easier <laughs> if you manage your stress. You can make your pain less intense if you manage your stress. No matter the type of chronic pain you have, there are things you can do to support your body. So I'd like to offer you some tools and some ideas on what I did. So maybe you feel inspired to include some of those in your life. So managing chronic pain, when you rely on a Western doctor to do that, in my experience, they're often going to start with pills, with pain medication, or with surgery, or with some kind of therapy referral. Pain management for me with pills was not really successful, and I touched on that a little bit earlier. It's not that it was not helping the symptoms, in the short term, it was helping the symptoms, but I didn't see that as a solution for the long term. The truth be told, what I was prescribed is Percocet and is really strong. And with my background and my history with eating disorder, and I felt this tendency towards like addiction behavior because of that part of my life. I was really seriously concerned that if I would take Percocet for a long time, not only would I get heavily addicted to pain medication, that my body would stop, that it would need more and more all the time. So I was actually deeply afraid of relying on painkillers. But that's my story. And for you, painkillers might be really helpful and useful. And if it's the case, then of course you can have that part of your toolkit. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea in every case. I'm saying it was not the best choice for me. So I decided to stop them. That was the first thing. Surgery was offered many times. I've had 
two surgeries for endometriosis. One was not successful at all. One was very successful. So again, different doctors, five years apart, different technology. There's no way of knowing how surgery is going to go. No matter what the doctor tells you, they don't know what's the outcome uh, until they're done. It's really up to you to feel it in and see if that's a good option for you at that moment. Other therapies that they suggested for me was mostly hormonal therapy. I wish they had suggested physical therapy or work to really get into the body because later down the line, I really realized how helpful that was, but that was never really suggested by those doctors. So when I did not want pills, I already had surgery and I wanted to stop hormonal therapy because I did hormonal therapy for a while, but the side effects were really, really intense. So just like for medication, the side effects didn't feel worth it for me or didn't feel like a long-term solution. So when I stopped that, the doctors were like, okay, you're on your own, like I said earlier. So I had to find other ways. I had to look at the holistic approach to healing. For me, how that looked like, it looked like exercise and not the type of exercise I had done in the past. Exercise for me in the past had been always intense, had been kind of a form of punishment for my eating, right? It was always like pushing really hard and really intensely. So it would have been really hard cardio. It would have been something like CrossFit. That was not the type of exercise I was helping. That was actually making me worse. It was aggravating my nervous system that was already like really flared up. When I say exercise, I'm talking about gentle movement, gentle yoga, walking, really light strength training, like body weight strength training. Anything that would help me release muscle tension and also create a little bit of stability and a feeling of being grounded and kind of solid in my body because I felt really weak. So balancing that out was helpful. Acupuncture was super helpful for me and it still is. Massage still is. Self-massage as well. So using tools like foam rollers or yoga tuna balls have been really a lifesaver for me. Touch in general. So it doesn't have to be an intense massage. It could be, you know, someone you love just rubbing oil on you or just like petting you. Really like a really just soft touch is really calming for the nervous system. So even that is helpful. Chiropractic has been helpful for me too. So those would be like acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic would be ways that you can go to other professionals to help you, where exercise is something you might do on your own, unless you go to like a physical therapist. There are physical therapists that are specialized in endometriosis and in other conditions to really help you release and strengthen in the appropriate way. So you can also have someone's help there. There is a definite link between chronic pain and mental health challenges, and we'll come back to that. But what I wanted to mention next is something that helped me is talk therapy. Because I felt so heavy in my thoughts about the pain and about the illness, I felt shame. I felt like... I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be sick. I didn't want to tell people that I was feeling this way. I I wanted to hide it. So just that creates so much dis-ease within, creates so much distanciation or separation that 
just talking about it with someone and digging a little bit into that shame and into the other emotions that relate to it was helpful for me. Uh, by myself, meditation, visualization, also super helpful. I've heard of people doing hypnosis too, which I haven't done, but uh, definitely a lot of meditations, guided meditation on apps. There's some great apps out there for guided meditation for pain. So you can use those and visualizing that you are feeling good, that your body is healthy, repeating affirmations. These things have been helpful. That might be obvious to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sleep, rest in general. Sleep is kind of magical. It's a little underrated. We talked about it quickly in the beginning on how if you're not managing your chronic pain, you will have sleep disturbances and it will you know, participate in creating more pain in the future. It goes the other way as well. So one of the things I would strongly suggest to focus on in the beginning, the things that you can do on your own, is to get as much and as deep, restful sleep as possible. So really working on a night routine, working on your sleeping environment, working on you know, your last meal or your technology or anything you do in the evening that will affect your sleep. The more you can sleep, the better or the faster you will heal. So that is super, super important. Another easy and small thing that have been really helpful for me is hot, cold therapy. That's not to say that you have to have a sauna and a plunge pool. If you do, amazing. <laughs> I'm jealous. If you don't, a shower will do. So I do cold, hot alternation in the shower, 20 second cold, 10 second warm, and I repeat that 10 times. It really, really helps with circulation. In turn, that circulation just helps not only move the energy in your body with something like endometriosis, I've always felt like there was a lot of stagnant energy in my pelvis. It just helps the whole metabolism, the whole system, the hormones, the glands to work a little bit better. So it just felt like it kept my body running at just a higher pace in a good way, not like higher anxiety pace, but my physical body. Breath has also been super, super helpful. Experimenting with different pranayamas, especially the ones that are really relaxing. Alternate nostril breathing is really relaxing for me. Moon circling breath is relaxing where you, you breathe in through the left, exhale through the right, and you just continue in that circle or only breathing in and out through the left. Um, Sitali is relaxing for me. Bumblebee breath. All of the pranayamas that are cooling, calming, relaxing have been really, really helpful. The last thing I would say as a way to manage chronic pain for me was, I don't know if it's so much to manage chronic pain or if it's to live with chronic pain and enjoy life at the same time or manage to just have a good time, have a break from everything that's happening in your head, you know, despite the chronic pain. And that for me is joy and laughter any like feel good distraction. So that's what I mean by it's more of a distraction than a healing tool. But as it affects your mind and as it affects your mood, it is part of healing. It's just not maybe as direct as the other things. 
funny movies, stand-up comedy, whatever makes you laugh and not think of what's going on, that little break, even if it's just for a few minutes, is really, really helpful. So my top ways to manage chronic pain by myself have been, oh, and there's one more actually that I forgot. And I'm going to start with that one as I do a little resume here, a little summary, sorry for you. Food and supplement, that is the biggest thing you can do on your own. And I almost forgot it. Food and supplement, food first is really about to help you understand your gut and how your gut influences every system in your body and your health in general. So really figuring out what food works for you, what food you digest well, what food you don't digest, what food you're intolerant or even allergic to and you didn't even know, and then really moving into... I don't want to say a diet, but a lifestyle that is the best for you. In my case, I really focus on food that are anti-inflammatory. I focused on food that were really easy to digest. So my body didn't have to focus on digestion and can focus on healing instead. And so I did really big diet changes, but it really paid off. And then supplements are just a way to make sure that you're getting all the vitamins, the minerals, all the nutrients you need so you have optimal range of all the things you need to function at best and for your body to have the capacity to heal itself too. So top ways to manage your chronic pain, food and supplement, meditation, sleep, hot, cold showers, breath, and then laughter. Top ways to get help (laughs) and like help yourself holistically. Um, Exercise, that could be by yourself or with someone. Acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, and talk therapy. So those would be my best um, ways to manage chronic pain. I mentioned when we talked about joy and laughter that that was a way for me to enjoy life or to eventually love life despite the pain because in for a while I didn't but over time you know it came back so I I think I want to dig into that a little bit more if you're really into the hardship right now it's hard to see long term and it's hard to see that you can create change and it's hard to see the positive. So the place to start is in the present. And in the present, you have to acknowledge your pain. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be aware of what's going on. You have to stop pushing it down and pretending it doesn't exist. Not in a way that you're continuously focusing on it and putting all your attention on it and you're kind of making it worse but also not in a way in reverse where you're pretending it doesn't exist and you're just trying to go on like that, putting a smile on your face, going with your life as if nothing is wrong. In my experience, I did that for a long time. And the second I would get finally by myself, it was like the pain would come back in a wave, like with a vengeance. I would feel way worse because I had pretended that it didn't exist. So acknowledging the pain is also the first step to listening 
to the pain and what it's trying to tell you instead of fighting it constantly. For me, I really find myself fighting it. I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be part of my life. As I said, I was ashamed of it. I didn't want to talk about it. And so I was always really against it. And there was frustration and there was anger there. When you start to acknowledge it and you can sit with it and listen and feel and be like, okay, this is what is happening. Those are the sensation. Here I have discomfort. Oh, here I have comfort. You start to build not only that awareness, but eventually you get more clarity on what's going on and you can a bit get out of the stories you're creating about the pain in your head. You're actually getting closer to the truth. The way to do that though, as I said, to not get caught up into the tornado of your mind is to be curious and to be curious with kindness. So really to create mindfulness around it so you can understand how is it affecting you physically How is it affecting you mentally and how it's affecting you emotionally? Because once you start to see that, you can also see, and that's really important part of that equation, how it doesn't affect you. So you can see, so you can focus on the things that are good because it's not affecting every single aspect of your life. It might be affecting a lot, but there are things that it doesn't touch. So seeing those things is really good. As you create awareness and as you become curious and you look to understand the impact and the effect of the pain or the chronic illness on your body, your mind, and your emotions, from there, you can start to explore techniques to manage the pain. So you can go back to the list I just done before and see, well, when I do this exercise, is it helping or is it not helping? So you can experiment in a very scientific way and keep track. One thing I really want you to hear from this episode and stay with you is that nobody knows your body better than you. Even if you think, like I used to, that doctors have the answers to everything, they don't. No one knows you better than you. And you really have a chance when you understand that to become empowered with your health. So those would be for me the way that you can enjoy life, love life despite the pain. Acknowledge, listen, be curious, look to understand, experiment with techniques that work for you. And then over time, you will become empowered with your health. You will know what you need to do and you will, it will be easier for you to act on it and to create and to get the results you want and to live pain-free, even if it's a few minutes at the time, a couple days, or a longer and longer, longer time. Really, it's the only way to build your knowledge, your awareness, and your capacity to act. You're creating, you're studying yourself, and you're learning how to deal with it. This is a lesson I wish I had learned earlier, because that took me a very long time to move from the disempowered, hopeless state to the empowered, everything is possible state. It took a long time and I hope that you feel inspired by what I'm saying. There's also other things I wish I had known earlier or I had learned earlier about chronic pain. So I'll share a few of those with you in case they're like little seeds that you can plant and start to think about. The first thing that I wished I had learned before is that 
I am not and we are not alone. I knew, because I knew that one woman out of 10 suffered from endometriosis, I knew statistically that I was not alone, but I felt alone. I felt disconnected from other people. I didn't feel understood. I didn't feel like people were getting what I was going through. I think there's a difference between knowing that you're not alone and seeking the connection of people that have something in common with you. I wished I learned earlier or I knew earlier the importance of community and support, not only from your loved ones, but from people that understand what you're going through. I wished I learned earlier, I understood earlier that chronic pain is just not only physical, that it affects your mind, that it affects your emotions, that it affects your relationships, because I think I would have looked at it through an even bigger lens, because I really focused on the physical aspect in the beginning, and eventually the other things came along. But I think if you address it from all sides, it will really transform radically much faster. All those aspects of your pain, it goes back and forth. So your pain affects your body and then your body affects your pain. Your pain affects your mind and then your mind affects your pain. So really understanding the relationship between the two as well and that it's not just a one-way situation. Um, there's no cure for endometriosis. So I knew that from the beginning. It's one of the first thing the doctors told me, like, well, you know, there's no cure. I wish I knew earlier that even if there's no cure, it doesn't mean I'll never be pain-free because in my brain, that's what it equaled. Right away when I was told there's no cure, I heard there's no hope, there's no way out of this. I wish I knew what I know today and I wish I could imagine my brain how I feel today because I couldn't even imagine it at first. If you were in a situation where you're like, I will never get out of this, I'm stuck, there's no cure for what I have, know that pain management can be very successful. So there is hope there. Another thing that I wish I knew earlier is that doctors don't always understand what you're going through. They know from books and they know from hearing other people, but they don't have that experiential understanding of your situation. And you are your own best advocate. And when you think something is right for you, you need to stick with that. And when you think something is not right for you, even if you disagree with a doctor, you should also stick with that. I think our intuition and our gut instinct is really, really important when it comes to managing our pain or our chronic illness. Doctors don't know everything about everything. They're just humans like us. So remembering that and not putting so much pressure and so much power onto them, I wish I thought of that earlier and I didn't give my power away in that way. I think those are the lessons I wished I knew earlier. You're not alone. It's not just physical. There might not be a cure, but you can still live pain-free. You know best, basically, and seek the support of other people that know what you're going through. A bit earlier in the episode, I quickly talked about the link between mental health and chronic pain. So I'm going to come back to that now and talk a little bit about how can we cope with the emotional aspect of chronic pain. Obviously, I'm not a therapist. I will only share kind of my experience through it and what helped me. So those are other tools to deal with pain, but from the angle of mental health challenges. I mentioned already that I felt shame. 
I also felt a lot of guilt. I felt like it was my own doing, like it was my fault that I made my bed kind of thing. I felt very lonely. Even though I had people around me, I felt, as I said, misunderstood, not seen. So I tend to isolate myself with my pain because I didn't want to have to fake it in front of other people. Anytime that I looked at my situation and I felt like I was worse, where I was having a bad day, I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't smart. I couldn't figure it out. I was just failing again and again. The more I was trying to avoid the pain, the more I felt disconnected from my body and from my heart. The more I pretended I was not suffering, the more I numbed myself, the more distant I felt from myself. So that also created some challenges. I felt frustrated. I felt angry. So there was definitely a lot going on on the mental health aspect of it. As I said, anxiety in general, and then obviously depression. So things that helped me over time, I'm not saying that these are like magic pills that you do once and then you'll be good. There are practices that you need to repeat over time and make part of your routine, and then they really have an impact. So focusing on the big picture, I don't know if it's just me, but when I struggle, I tend to see the negative. I tend to focus on what is going wrong. And oftentimes there's actually good things also going on, but you don't see them because you only see the negative. So what I mean by seeing the big picture is that it's not because you have a few hours in a day of really intense pain that most of your day has been ruined. It's not because you have a few days in your week of intense pain that your week or your month has been ruined. So one of the things that I was doing for a long time is that I use an agenda. And in the agenda, every day, so there's like, you know, a little square for every day or a page for every day, I would put a little sticker. It was green, yellow, or red. So green was, I mostly had a good day. Uh, yellow, obviously, it was a meh day. And then bad, it was a bad day. Or red, it was a bad day. It was a hard day. It was a painful day. And I wrote a little note, like a little comment on why am I putting this color. What I started to notice after a while is that I had more green days than yellow and red. Over time, I had more and more. And then it kind of helped me keep track of the improvement and see, oh, actually, you know, I've had three good days this week. That's pretty good. It's better than last week or it's better than three months ago. So that really helped me see the big picture and project myself in the future. Instead of being focused on right now, I'm in a lot of pain. I'll never get out of it. Like, oh, right now I'm in a lot of pain. But if I look at my agenda journal, I know that it's not the general tendency or it's we're moving away from that. So seeing the big picture, however you need to do that. Also practices of gratitude, because I tend to focus so much on the negative and the challenging part of it, gratitude was just a way to flip my mindset. And you can obviously start with, you know, three things you're grateful for in the morning and what really worked for me was instead of journaling, because I used to journal a lot and write all like the dark, deep thoughts that were in my head and put them down on paper. I kind of stopped that because I felt like I was just festering into that energy. 
Um, I switched it to, at the end of the day, writing one or two sentences about my favorite part of the day. No matter how bad the day was, what was my favorite part of the day? Was it a good meal that I had? Was it a walk that I took in the sun? Was it, it didn't matter, right? But what is the best part of the day? And taking a moment to be grateful for that. So instead of focusing on the negative, focusing on the positive. It doesn't mean that I pretend it's not there. Like I mentioned before, I'm working on an I was working on acknowledging the pain, but also working on seeing the other things that are there at the same time. So gratitude and then loving kindness, practicing loving kindness in general, where you extend love to yourself and kindness to um, someone you love, to someone you're indifferent to and someone you're in conflict with. And I also did this practice a lot for my body directly. So a part of my body that I love, a part of my body I'm indifferent with, a part of my body that I'm in conflict with. So that was super helpful. And if you feel like loving kindness is not quite in your reach, like you feel like I could fake it till I make it, but I really don't feel it when I sit in it, you can start with just acceptance. That idea of sitting with what is and being okay with that. So not loving it, but just being like, all right, this is what's going on. I see it. I accept it. This is the way it has to be right now. You know, keeping things in perspective. So starting with acceptance. And then in the same way as the gratitude journal, focusing on the good things, the other like kind of facet of this for me was to enjoy the small things. Instead of letting the pain take over and ruin every moment in my day or the thought of the pain even, is that when I was experiencing something good to really take the time and savor it and be like, oh, this bowl of pasta is so good really enjoying anything that was positive and being mindful of it and making the most of that moment. For me, tools, as a summary, tools that help cope with the emotional aspect of mental health was to work on the emotions themselves. So recognize the emotions, process the emotions, learn to see the big picture, the good things, Track the pain, track the improvement, enjoy the small things, practice acceptance, gratitude, and loving kindness. So those were the tools. Particularly, obviously, with yoga, it also directly affected the mental without explicitly thinking about it. It had an impact. Yoga has really been part of a way to solidify the physical and the mental healing and recovery together. And I think the things that helped me the most or the most particularly in yoga is that sensation of creating self-care for myself. As I mentioned before, I used to exercise almost as a way of punishment. So using yoga in a more gentle way, using yoga or a style of yoga or a rhythm, a flavor, a kind of practice that felt really loving and caring was really helpful. Not only just to keep the physical tension, but to address your stress. So as you focus on breath and movement together, as you repeat, as you do things that are really simple, it's really calming for the nervous system and it helps your general state of stress to reduce. Yoga also helped me stay aware of the changes, really building not only that awareness in general of my body and my sensations and the improvement, but also just staying connected staying able to listen, right? From there, it just gave me the capacity to act and to make the best choices for myself. 
And then the last thing that yoga particularly helped me with is just create routine. I find routine is really good for anxiety as well. It's really good just to know that I'm going to do this thing every time I get up in the morning. I'm going to do this thing every time I go to bed. I'm taking care of myself in these ways. Having a plan, creating a routine and making things automatic and easy, just like brushing your feet where you don't have to think about it. You don't fight yourself about it. You don't argue about it. You just know that I need to do this and this feels good and I'm going to continue to do it. Takes a load off the mental understanding and having to figure out everything you have to do. Those are the ways that yoga particularly helps me. Self-care, routine, keeping the stress in check, keeping the body relaxed and building more awareness. So I would strongly encourage that you include some type of yoga in your healing strategies, no matter what is your situation with chronic pain. All right, I think that gives you like a good overview, a good amount of tools. I've talked about a lot of things. I usually finish episodes with guests by asking them if there's anything they'd like to add before we finish, if there's like one takeaway um, they would like listeners to leave with. So I will do the same. My one takeaway, the one thing I would like you to remember is that there is hope. (laughs) Because when you have hope, then you know you have agency, you know you can make changes. It feels worth it to make the effort. And so just that gives you a little momentum, a little motivation to take care of yourself. When there's no hope and there's no point, it's really hard to do anything about it. So I want you to remember that no matter what your situation is right now, no matter how you feel right now, there is hope. You know best what's for you, what's going to help you. There's a way. And it's up to you with the help that you need, but it has to start with you. You have to figure out what helps you. You have to find that. You have to get it. You have to ask for help. But you can figure it out. So that's what I want you to remember. There's hope. There's a way. You can do it. All right. I will put all my info in the show notes this time. Um, In the meantime, if you want to say hello, if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at erica.belanger or at on and off your mat podcast. I'm on both of those platforms. If you suffer from chronic pain, if this episode helped you in any way, if it added value to your life in any way, I would really love to know. So if you want to share your experience, if you want to share how these suggestions help, um, send me an email. If you don't want to DM me on social media, uh, you can write me directly at erica.belanger at gmail.com and I write my first name with a K, or if you check in the show notes, there will be all the links in there. I would really love to hear from you, to connect with you. It's kind of my chance to get to know you guys better. So reach out. Let's chat. (laughs) All right. This is it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so happy that I was here sharing this story with you and sharing these tips with you. And I hope it was helpful. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on IG at On and Off Your Mat Podcast and visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat if you'd like to donate to support the show or become a VIP or premium member to get your hands on all our exclusive extra content. You can check out the show notes to find a little bit more info about me there or what I think are the five takeaways of this episode. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for joining us and until next time.